0: Hey guys, welcome to the MIT Podcast. I'm Giuseppe Santamaria, the photographer behind Men in This Town and editor of MIT Magazine. I'm excited to present today's podcast as it's the first in a new series called Off the Cuff with Ali. The idea is based off of Ali Askasha's new column in MIT Magazine. A month after a new issue is released, we will host a book club of sorts at Men in This Town headquarters at Finefellow where Ali will lead a discussion revolve around the topic he wrote about. In issue seven, he delved into the world of classic menswear in A Class in Classics. During the live discussion, he explored what classic menswear is, their brief history, what gives them their elusive status, and whether we have exhausted them. Have a listen, and if you want to read Ali's full piece, you can pick up a copy of Mitt Magazine issue seven at meninthistown.com. Hope you enjoy.
1: I did meet you last year and uh, I was an avid stalker of yours for some time, so when I moved to Sydney um, it was uh, a natural move to, to actually see that you were doing some great work with your mid-studio talks um, and finally find you and then never let go. And now I stand here because of, uh, and so yeah, it goes to show that stalkers can win. <laughs> um, so basically just a, a quick introduction of myself. I. I'm in no way um, uh, any sort of professor in fashion. I don't have a fashion degree. <laughs> I simply have an interest. But my interest sort of uh, delves beyond, far and beyond. I, I, I study fashion on my time off. During the day, I'm a, a corporate worker. So um, this is something that I do for, for fun and bedtime reading. And uh, now I'm here. I thank you again, Giuseppe, for the, for the opportunity. Um, just a little bit about the magazine as well. Uh, men in This Town is uh, a magazine which was a brainchild of uh, Giuseppe, which sort of follows uh, different sort of men around the world, and especially in Sydney, um, who are doing some great work in design, art, and uh, you know a variety of, of, of different things, and a lot of designers who are stopped in the store as well. Um, and of course have a have a tendency to sort of dress the pot as well so they're pleasing to photograph um, so that's basically where it's from I got involved with um, a piece uh, three issues ago which was around uh, perfume which is another one of my interests and no I'm not a murderer <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then it sort of has moved more into fashion which is something that I again as I said really do uh, focus on. These talks, they're, they're going to be part of a series. are called uh, Off the Cuff, um, which is basically uh, just sort of talking about different areas of menswear fashion, where we, are, where we would sort of look at it in a way. And it's going to be more of a discussion as well, where I would sort of ask a lot of questions from everyone, and hopefully I'll, I'll get some answers, and just sort of a, a candid talk about different areas um, of fashion that sort of get a little bit uh, overlooked. Um, we live in a world that is, of course, uh, visually focused, you know, with, with Instagram, with, with style blogs, et cetera. But what we tend to forget is that fashion, at the end of the day, is, is a form of expression. Um, we, uh, whilst, of course, fashion did start as something um, which was sort of only spe- specific to the upper classes, and I will bring class a fair bit because you'd be surprised how much it actually plays, and it's actually not the upper class that plays uh, a huge effect. It is just varieties of of, of social classes that have affected fashion in, in a variety of ways. So of course it was um, till about uh, two centuries ago. It was fashion was only sort of within within the within the upper classes, but then of course with the rise of the, the middle class and with the rise of, of course, affordable fashion lines as we stand in the 20th century and mass production, um, it becomes everyone's business. We all consciously or subconsciously make a decision every single day about how we are expressing ourselves uh, in fashion and that's uh, Miranda Priestley's Example from Devil Wears Prada. It's one of my favorite movies on work ethic and on fashion. And it's basically when she says that everything that you wear has been sort of, you know, when, well, Andrea, who's her assistant and the protagonist, she says, oh, I don't know about this stuff. And she's like, well, the people in this room have decided what you are wearing right now from a pile of stuff. So it really sort of has that, you know, it is a, there's a multi-billion-dollar industry, and it is—it uh, really just sort of boils boils down to personal expression, uh, consciously or unconsciously. So, again, like uh, what we—but again, that example, I would actually flip it over as well because whilst Miranda Priestley or who she was representing then, was Anna Wintour, wanted to say that. For example, the editors at Vogue or GQ dictate the fashion that we are sort of you know using in our day-to-day life. But the the history would tell us otherwise. It is in fact um, different sort of social, human social reactions to their times and the way we were progressing through history that dictates fashion off its time. So um, whilst we would think that of course it's sort of a trickle down effect from the upper stratum and your you know, different editors, it's actually the other way around. So when you really look at history, you see that you know, during times for example, the 80s, uh, that was a time where uh, we had sort of reached um, a capitalist boom. Uh, socialism had finally been sort of put aside and you realize that when people were wearing suits, there were the power shoulders and the fattest ties you could see. And that is a direct correlation to how we were feeling at that time. There was an optimism, there was an inflation of of self-worth, which is of course, which directly correlates to uh, the ideals of capitalism. So it's actually the other way around. We, We, the way we express ourselves in fashion is actually a reaction to our social conditions and therefore a really good study in anthropology so we will be moving on to i have handwritten notes as always um so basically you know we are again uh looking at classic menswear today so just a really quick summary of what i wrote about in um in the piece and this is just a sort of a a sort of quasi extension of that is basically delving into what comprises classic menswear we we wear like of course the, the men in the room um, we well, you know we, we we wear it a lot, especially if you 're in a, a in a, a corporate uh, structure, so you know looking at a suit, but even looking beyond that, so there has been of course a wave of casualization of classic men'swear, so you know t shirts and jeans and uh sweatshirts et cetera. These are also classic items and how we can sort of and how they were born, what they are, and why. Are certain things classics and others aren't? Um, and have we actually exhausted classics? Like, are we sort of at, at our sort of uh, peak of whether, you know, will we ever see another thing sort of getting that status? It is a very difficult status to get. So firstly, and this is my first question to the audience as well, what do you, what, like, tr- let's try and define the word classic. What do you think is, like, how would you define it?
0: Maybe something that becomes a staple.
1: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's good.
0: So timeless.
1: timeless. Timeless. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Marlon Brandt. Marlon Brandt, <laughs> no. That's good because he actually. Yeah. That that comes later. So well done. Anyone
2: else? I think interestingly, um, classic also in sort of implies a very simplistic sort of style as well. Yeah. Which like other people have been saying like timeless and stuff like that. It doesn't need to be um, simple, but it is.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, so, again, the, the, all those answers are absolutely correct. So even when you're looking at the definition of it, the way it's described, it, it has two uh, very keen, uh, keen definitions. One, of course, being that it's judged over a period, period of time for being of the highest quality. That's one. And the other one, which is what we were talking about as well, very typical of its kind so there are two very sort of interesting definitions because one it sets the standard but then the other it's also the standard like it's also sort of quite democratic in nature and that's quite interesting because you know you said staple, which also implies the sort of the the ubiquitousness of it um, and then you know, there's also the sort of timelessness of it as well, which sort of like you know, it is of the highest quality, and it always will be, uh, sort of respected at that level as well. Um, second question: What do we normally associate things like when we use the word classic? In like, what what do we like when we you know what would you comprise? Like, what would classic comprise? Not like looking beyond fashion. Something old. Something old, yeah. And what about like <coughs> categories in terms of <coughs> Yeah. cards? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the- uh, architecture? Yeah. Architecture. Movies. Uh, uh, sorry? Movies. Movies, yeah. Music. <laughs> Music, absolutely. Literature. Literature. Exactly. So what we're seeing is that there's an actual trend, um, uh, where they're all forms of, you know, design and of of various expressions. And of course like human accomplishment as well in terms of not scientific, but anything that is related to, to art, literature, um, design, you know, where human beings have been able to express themselves through, through various media. Um, and that, of course, is something that we will be touching upon. That is the definition of classic. And it's really, you know, we talk about all those things. We talk about classic books or we talk about classic movies. So it's really good to actually talk about classic fashion in that same vein as well. That you know, it, it holds a it holds a sort of holy place in in the in the scheme of things. Um, so we're finally gonna get to to menswear classics. So um, again, another question: what what do you, what what do we think are menswear classics?
0: The white T-shirt.
1: Yep.
3: Uh, denim jackets. Yep. Levi jeans.
0: jeans.
1: Yep. The suit. The suit. Yep.
0: Very specific of Levi's jeans, of just even the brand. Yeah. <laughs> the four and the 501 Levi's and, jeans. And fun fact, Levi's
1: actually made uh, made denim. They <clears throat> invented denim. Denim didn't exist before then. So Levi Strauss um, invented it in in the U.S. in the 1800s. So that is that. Yeah. So. It's a fun fact, right plans. there. <laughs> 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 yeah, and, and I'm actually going to come, come to Jeans because they have a very interesting place in, in, in fashion and classic men's square because they're not very old in terms of our acceptability of them as a classic. Any other items? Are there any other
0: brands that are classic for that?
1: There is another one. So, it's Burberry, for example, they invented gabardine, which is the, the cloth that they use for the trench. Right. Yeah. Anyway, any, any, any else? Anyone? Maybe. Sorry? Watches. 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 Yeah. Absolutely. Sneakers. Jackets. Is yeah. Yeah. So it's really sort of like coming, uh, coming on board. Uh, I think as we speak, I think it's becoming more and more uh, naturalized. Mm-hmm. So I think I've, I've just sort of put it, put a few. So um, there's of course the dress shirt, um, a t-shirt, uh, chinos, jeans, preferably, dark blue, but I'll come back to that, in shoes, <laughs> have, um, there's also, of course, in shoes is the Oxford, uh, brogues, Chelsea boots, um, what else is there, sneakers, peacoat, trench, v V-neck jumper, uh, a crew neck sweatshirt, you know, it's just like very specific, mm. and, you know, a leather, a leather jacket, and of course, above and beyond, the suit, the lounge suit as we know it. Um, Now I'm just going to sort of delve into a little bit uh, histories of a couple of classics, not to sort of bore you with the, oh, yeah, and then this happened in the (laughs) 1800s. But a fun fact before I get into the histories is that just to sort of delve into how strict the code of classics is, suits became a sort of classic menswear item from basically a rebellious item which was in sort of the mid-1800s. to sort of become a classic menswear item in about the 1910s. Um, and then we don't see any other classic taking over until, because the dress shirt was even before then. It was in the 1700s. Um, but what we don't see is then the uh, is basically t-shirt and denim, which kind of come together in the 1950s. And then, then again, there's like nothing in the middle. And then you kind of see the rise of the denim jacket or um, uh, the white sneaker, which is probably the most recent thing that has really sort of come about, just because it is um, it's sort of taken over and it's sort of become um, a standard in itself. No other color, white. So, which which is another. Thing. <laughs> so let's look at the suit. Um, the re- like it, it sort of starts off. Uh, as a reaction to the Regency period. The Regency period is, of course, anything that is like pre-Napoleon, but kind of looking at So Menver as we know it is more or less, uh, apologies to any Francophiles in the room, but it is more or less dictated by uh, British fashion uh, as what we wear today in our day-to-day lives. So uh, the Regency period, of course, was very frilly. and. Frocky, and even men were wearing a lot of sort of uh, different colors. At that time, the lower classes weren't even allowed to wear velvet or the royal purple, (coughs) uh, etc. So, and oddly enough, no one in like except for the the the, just the the upper classes, no one wore white. Um, And that's interesting because white for, for two reasons they didn't wear white. One, because of personal hygiene. Uh, regular shower, daily showers, only happened in the early eighteen hundreds, and it was started off, which brings me back to the suit, by a gentleman named Beau Brummel, who started the whole movement of what is now called dandyism, which is the modern da- the the dandy. He was the first dandy. Um, he didn't wear necessarily wear a um, the modern suit as we know it, because suits back then, the suit jacket used to. Uh, used to be a frock, so they would wear uh, sort of, and again, skinny like a, a sort of skinny bad uh, trouser with uh, a tail, essentially a tail coat and a shirt and a a, a scarf. But then, so he really sort of popularized that, uh, which went from a, a military frock coat to uh, a sort of long uh, coat. But then, that sort of that's where sort of the modern suit starts to take its form. Uh, that sort of moves into the area of a morning suit, where instead of like a, a sort of woolen coat, it becomes more of a just a tail. So it's cut off at the at the uh, front, and then finally by the 1900s, it ke- continues to shorten, and it becomes uh, it becomes a modern suit. A couple of things that are quite interesting is that the reason why they began to make it shorter is because. Uh, because it was just sort of we were sort of becoming more and more focused on utility, so the buttons that you have at the end of your your you're wearing a suit, so these buttons, which are now redundant, were in fact uh, the modern suit as we know it, was actually worn by surgeons first, and the reason why they added those buttons is because when they were performing surgery, they could actually undo the buttons and roll their sleeves but you couldn't be caught dead <laughs> doing a surgery without a suit jacket, <laughs> so which is really funny because you're like, just, just take the jacket off. Like, no, no, no. You have to keep wearing the jacket. You have to, yeah. We'll add buttons, and you can roll it out, but you still have to keep wearing it. So, um, and then of course the other influences, of course, were um, lapels, which is essentially the worst. But you know now everyone thinks that. I think this is going to be okay for the podcast, but um, uh, you know, when you sort of pop your your jacket sort of lapel collar, it's considered a bit of a dicky move. But the lapels initially were were used uh, by the military to to put them up as a as a sort of wind windbreaker, and uh, the back back vents were added because people were horse riding at the time, so that's why it was easier to sit sit in them. So of course, like you know, we are th- we started moving towards utility and the modern suit sort of, um, sort of came about that. And now coming to jeans. So, before the nineteen fifties, you you wouldn't find anyone wearing jeans except for cowboys or people who were by then working in factories. Um, it and it's it's funny because there is nothing in fashion that is like not a single movie in fashion that has affected two movies. I would say. That have affected fashion so considerably. One being Rebel Without a Cause, with James Dean, and the other one being uh, Streetcar Named Desire, with Brando. Um, Brando wear, wears a wears a T-shirt in that, and then there is no looking back. Everyone wants to wear a T-shirt, and he was wearing a white T-shirt. Like he defined classic American by simply wearing a T-shirt, because you you wouldn't you wouldn't find anyone else wearing a T-shirt before then. It was. A complete no-no, and the same with jeans. With uh, James Dean and Rebel Without a Cause, um, there are no popular representations or photographs of people wearing denim like sort of outside of the the cowboy slash uh, uh, working class reference, which is pretty incredible to see. Like some, you know, we we wouldn't we wouldn't think that at all anymore. I think because there's just so much going on. We'd be like, oh, actually, I think I'm gonna dress like that and just. Make that like spread like wildfire across the world. Yeah,
0: like, um, has anything actually happened like that recently? Yeah, it's,
1: it's very hard. I think the last time, uh, something to do with the Kardashians. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> well, yeah, I think yeah, the Kardashians would probably come close. Like yeah. again, I'm like very. I uh, I I've, I've, like one of the things I'm very careful about. I'm just like nothing is good or bad in these conversations because mm. we're looking at like influences, right? And mm. the Kardashians have had. I mean, for example, they've changed makeup forever. I mean, contouring was not a thing. And (laughs) now everyone across the world is doing it. It's it's like a billion dollar industry in itself. Nothing could actually
0: develop. That's new. But yeah, as an example, then eyebrow makeup. Exactly. Yeah,
1: is it a new thing? I don't know. But oh, eyebrow makeup goes it. back. Oh, eyebrow makeup goes back. They got like thin and thick and thin,
0: thin yeah. and thick. <laughs>
1: I think I think the Egyptians were painting their eyebrows back in like 5,000 <laughs> <laughs> BC.
0: Um,
1: so, you know, it is. I think the last one would probably be uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's, where uh, Audrey Hepburn wore Burberry. That was, I think, the last sort of major thing where the trench really sort of took off. But I don't think like any any other sort of big fashion focus has really sort of come. I feel like, like men wearing fur is fairly new. Men wearing fur is fairly new, yeah. yeah. I mean male you know, know. I, know. I wear this straight. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's actually interesting because you know, things like fur and um, I think the only other thing, uh, leather jackets as well, as well as skinny jeans. I think these three things have actually pre like have Sort of recycled over centuries. So men used to wear really tight trousers, Uh, as I said, like during the Regency period. um, Men used to wear stockings as well. So, um, and that completely died down because then you know masculinity, the code, really sort of shifted. Um, Same with fur. I think a lot of people, like in in uh, uh, the sort of ruling class, used to wear uh, back in the day, like John Snow. (laughs) <laughs> back, in <laughs> back in the day! Back in the Not really. <sorry>. It's a, <laughs> a magical <laughs> lens. Why aren't skinny jeans a classic? That, well, so I think it's the, yeah, jeans so it's, it's interesting because they, they really sort of phased out because people found them quite stuffy, but I feel like they really made a resurgence and they might, although there's already a trend moving towards uh, looser trousers again, just I think about two years now. Um, but I think the skinny jeans kind of hair to stay. And i i actually sort of I would Even I think I
0: find it kind of not to be I find it very trendy. Yeah. But if they have been around for so long.
1: But it, interestingly there've been a trend now since the year 2000 because again, fun fact, so uh, we didn't have we didn't have uh, like men's men men's trousers were really loose during the nineties. Um, but then once again, one specific person. It was uh, Eddie Sliman. He was the, he was the creative director for Dior Homme. Um He was recently uh, put on, and he brought, He started doing um, skinny skinny bands. jeans. Huh.
0: Green bike bands. That's
1: right, and he basically he's the one who initially sort of slimmed men's fashion because the '90s were kind of grungy, 80s were very power and loose, um, and, but then he really sort of like sucked it all in again, to the point that Karl Lagerfeld, who used to be quite um, plump at the time, he actually lost like close to about 25 to 30 kilos in order to fit into Eddie Slimane's <laughs> clothes, uh, which, is, which is pretty hilarious. Also, because he was, he was creative director on Ch- at Chanel, and this is Dior Homme, which is, to sort of rival, like the perfect rivalry. So yeah, um, you know, so basically, uh, and the last history in terms of classic, I'm not going to talk about a specific garment. I'm going to talk about color, which we sort of touched upon before, which is the color white. We associate a lot of classic menswear between sort of black and white. Black had, of course, pre-existed and has sort of come through all the the way. But again, white has a very interesting history. and this is for the, the women here. The white wedding dress was, in fact, worn by Queen Victoria for the first time. That was the first white wedding dress that was ever worn. And no one in their right mind ever thought that they would be able to wear a white dress for another century because there were no ways of cleaning it. Uh, people <coughs> couldn't afford white because, I mean, to the point that jeans were, in fact, because it's cotton jeans, when you, when you manufacture them, they are white in color, and then you dye them. And the reason why they were dyed indigo was because white was too hard to maintain um, in terms of uh, its color. So the, the sort of middle classes, working classes, just couldn't afford white. White was always considered a very, very uh, expensive uh, habit in itself. So it just wasn't uh, necessarily endorsed so now, what, what we're basically coming to, and this is another question to everyone, what is a common thread that you would think has been through all these sort of interesting stories with the history of classics? Like if you look at like the human sort of element of it.
4: So I think one thing that comes to mind anyway is that idea of classic would be the range of influences so looking at, you know, pre-social media or pre-internet, you know, you had to wait for a feature film like, you know, Sheree Khan, like, Name Desire, A Rebel Without a Cause, right? Yeah. So your influences were a lot smaller. My assumption would be then, since you have social media, we have so many more influences, you know, and blogs and all that, there isn't one point of fixation. So yeah. trend moves a lot faster, which makes it a lot harder to create a classic. Absolutely. And I we see that in like music,
1: in fashion, there's not one genre-defining sound. Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, that's definitely, that's, and this is interesting because, you know, that's what I really want to speak about, uh, you know, because that is essentially, you know, what is the future of classics. But what do we think, like, in terms of, like, you know, where human beings were whilst these, like, how we define these classics, um, what I was trying to get to was that all of them are defined by the rise of the middle class. human beings, we, we wouldn't be where we are in terms of classics um, and the way they, they sort of sort of dictate our lives now if it wasn't for the rise of the middle class. And the, that rise is sort of, and, and of course the rise of classic menswear and the rise of the middle class, both are dictated by four things that happen. And this is really quite interesting because I, even I was a bit surprised by that. First one was the Industrial Revolution. Two things happened. One, of course, there was an increase in mass-produced clothes. Which became cheaper. And two, people were becoming richer, and sort of like that middle range richer. So they could afford more, more clothes to wear, um, sort of clothes to wear that were sort of initially assumed by um, the upper classes. But then because of that, they also started to make their own style, which was almost as a, as a rebellion to um, to the upper classes, they're like, no, we need our own like form. You know, we're going to work now. Where that's where the nine to five starts as well, especially at banks, and that's where they start really start taking over the morning suit, and that's where it sort of goes all over the place. It's professional services that really sort of take it through. Um, the other one is of course the influence of military. Military was probably one of the only institutions where people from across like across the across the sort of class spectrum were able to interact. So of course, people from royalty were 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 there as well as sort of middle to, uh, middle to low classes as well. And of course, during the 1800s and early 1900s, of course, you know, sort of ending with the two great wars, um, you see that there is there is a lot of fusion and a lot of interestingly a lot of tailors who were you know initially their buyers were um, just a sort of you know top tier. Um, sort of the ruling class, they realized that they could actually adopt a lot of things and use lesser, um, le- like less l- less expensive fabrics, and then they were starting to sort of give to the sort of middle classes as well, and that's where things like the trench coat comes along. So there, as I said, um, where Thomas Burberry invented and patented gabardine, which is what a trench coat is made out of, um, and it was it was initially only to supply uh, the British army. And then it sort of t- took off because between wars, they're like, OK, well, we still need to do business. So they're like, let's start selling it as an item of clothing. And a lot of the things that you see in our clothes as well, so lapels and pockets and, and buttoned pockets, et cetera, they're all inspired from military wear. Um, another thing is sport. Um, sport, you, I mean, you really couldn't I think that's probably the single largest influence in today's world, which is also moving towards the casualization of, of fashion as well, as we know it. Um, so be it uh, Rene Lacoste, who patented the the, the polo shirt, uh, the sports jacket, which is, of course, like a, a cotton, like a lighter jacket that you can wear. And also wearing, so before people didn't know how to wear like a, like a blue blazer and, and uh, and chinos. That was a that was an absolute no no. It was just for the the, the lowest of the lowest sort of informal occasion. And they're like, oh, what could that be? And they're like, a sports match. Uh, so, you know, where everyone can come together. And they're like, you know, the whole mismatch suit. That basically was uh, was invented through um, what you would wear to a sports game. And the last thing, which is probably the funniest, is going to the beach. So the morning suit was only meant to be worn to the beach when it was first, uh, when it really first was popularized because before then, during the day, men would wear morning suits or before then you would just wear uh, a long coat and you would just never be seen in something as, as like daggy as what is now the sort of the, the epitome of, of, of our fashion. Sorry? What's the morning suit? So morning suit is the one that like cuts off here, and then it goes go, has a tail. So, and the reason why it's still called a morning suit is because that is what you wore in the morning. So <laughs> And of course, white tie kind of phased out, and then black tie took, came over. But our current suit was essentially meant to be worn at the beach. But then that sort of went, so that sort of like phased out, and then next thing was, oh, we'll wear casual wear, so we'll start wearing denim to the beach, which is a pain. Um, <laughs> it's never, never be wet in denim, it's the worst feeling. <laughs> um, and so it's basically, it, it, it's interesting to see, you can actually chart what are now considered classics through how what people wore at the beach 50 years ago. <laughs> so it, it really just sort of comes through, and hope, well, goes to show that Maybe shorts are going to be well. I mean, shorts are already coming pretty close. I mean, there's a, a huge conversation around whether men can wear shorts to work, um, and a lot of designers out there are actually beginning to 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 work on that. Tom Brown, who's a New York-based um, uh, fashion designer, he's really sort of reworked the formal suit with shorts, and it's really sort of beginning to take off. I don't know. Maybe we'll see it in our lifetime because remember there are a lot of a lot of tech people out there who are, who I think are going to be the reason of, like, who are basically a catalyst to the casualization of fashion, and also the, the, the direction that we're going in goes to show that, you know, they've already gotten rid of suits at work, um, and they're, they've been a huge proponent of that. So, you know, with them being such a catalyst, again, out of rebellion, they're like, no, we're saying no to corporate, and... We don't want this. We want to go in shorts. You see the Atlassian guys in the city. It's um, and this is a funny anecdote because there's Department of Industry, New South Wales Department of Industry, on the like three floors out from the Atlassian office, and then there's the Burberry store at the bottom, just on Martin Place. And then all of a sudden you see Atlassian folks come out in their sort of Star Wars T-shirts and their (laughs) their sort of cargo shorts, and you're like, wow, they really changed that around. But it goes to show that I mean that is. They're, they're going to be a huge uh, sort of catalyst into where fashion is going to go.
0: I guess with the whole thing of active wearing and that sportswear thing, <laughs> is there That that's the direction fashion is going, is there room there for a new classic to kind of then emerge? Exactly. Because it's utility more so well,
1: than it has in the past. That's right, that's right.
0: So leggings I think is pants. Sorry? leggings is
1: pants. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I mean, you know, that that is that is interesting to see because there is no Good or bad because when, when the when again when the lounge suit came about, people of the old old like order would be like, No, we'll only wear the frock coat. You know, so they're, they're always going to be like, I would never wear that to work, but but again, I mean there's no good or bad. Like, you know, it is it is how you know we continue to evolve again during that sort of status mm-hmm. quo. Yeah.
2: Um, I think it's kind of interesting that in our uh, transition to a more white colour society we sort of enamorize uh, ourselves with the idea of active wear as a way of saying, I exercise. Which, of course, like going back to your point, the upper classes, the idea of manual labor for any reason was completely out of the question. Whereas now, the idea of spending your spare time exercising and building up a sweat is considered
1: a Absolutely, and, and again, we, 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 I mean, sort of, you know, steering away from that as well, we are probably the first couple of generations since the 50s who have lived in a time of where we actually have enough food to sustain a population, uh, where, you know, before then, for, for however, you know, many millions or millions of years, human beings have not been able to produce enough food that is affordable, or like for the entire population. It's been it's been just that. And now we're at a time where, you know, we kind of have to you know, a salad costs more than McDonald's, you yeah. know, that's the whole the whole idea. And to be able to uh in fact there's a channel Vox and they also do a news website. They did how when jogging became a thing, which was about in the fifties and the sixties where people were jogging. Everyone thought that was ridiculous, and it was a fad that was gonna <laughs> die out very soon. I mean, they're like, "Why are people Why are people running for leisure? Because that's not a that's not a sane thing to do." Uh, and then Joan Rivers like just crystallized that joke, where she's like, "You know, if I see a if I see a jogger smiling, I'll consider it because it's just the most painful thing in the world." <laughs> so you know, it really sort of goes to show. What really sort of influences we 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 tend to we tend to get from from various areas. So um, another thing, which is a commonality a bit across like menswear as we know it, is looking at how dull it is, um, which is interesting because this sort of turns everything I've said so far on its head. It's actually really boring. It's it's uniform. Um, it's dull in its its sort of there's no sort of creative thinking behind it. Um, Is it meant to be a standout? Probably not because you go through the city and there's like a billion guys in suits, right? So then what are we trying to achieve here? And again a broader question is that although these were born out of capitalist and consumerist ideas, but we moved towards a world that is now sort of wants uniformity, which is Kind of a socialist idea when you really think about it. If everyone's looking the same, um, then that's not really because cap- consumerism and capitalism—they, the ideals are individuality. So then, what? How is it that you know, we've sort of landed ourselves in a point where everyone's wearing the same jeans and everyone's wearing the even in like casual classics as well. Where are we really sort of? Should we you know we've sort of become uniform in that sense. So is that? like a socialist tendency, or are we still sort of keeping to that democratic understanding of it all? But that brings me to the point that classics do go beyond, like there's like an extra sort of, well, three ingredients which really sort of define what a classic is, and that is color, fit, and fabric. Um, you can't wear a plastic suit and be like, oh, I'm wearing a classic suit, um, because it's not. Same with color, like if you're wearing a yellow shirt, it would probably look amazing on you, but it wouldn't be. And that would be like fashion forward, which is like, I'm not wearing any classic wear at the moment. I'm wearing, I'm wearing cat paws. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so but that's the thing. You can be fashion forward, and that's perfectly fine. But it doesn't fit in the category of classic. Classic is a white shirt. Classic is a navy blazer. Uh, classic is a dark blue sort of savage jeans. Uh, Classic is a is a black or a navy blue suit. You know, so those are the things that really sort of define and we've gone beyond that. Um, It's a white cotton shirt. It's a white and you know you want it to fit well as well. I mean I wouldn't want something that's sort of like slouching all over the place. So classic really comes down to when you sort of put all the elements together, it's it's an entire look. Just an example as well, the Met Gala, which is like a huge sort of fashion event that happens every year at the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York, Um, Rami Malek from Mr. Robot, um, he wore a red suit, which is awesome, and he looked absolutely fantastic in it, but on the other hand, and I mentioned this man in my article as well because he is god of classic menswear, Tom Ford wore his uniform, he's always worn it, and it was a, a white College shirt, of course, but it was black tie. But um, and he was just wearing a black suit. Um, I normally steer clear from black suits because I end up looking like a concierge. <laughs> so, um, but you know, he absolutely and that's what he wears all the time. You see any of his photos, and he would always be in a white shirt, unbuttoned, and wearing a black suit. But you gotta notice like the sort of the the, the subtle things, the way he's sort of like it's perfectly cinched at the waist you can see the, the the white sort of band of his his shirt sleeve the, his shirt sleeve sort of peeking out his his collars are a little bit like larger his lapels are just the perfect size his his trousers fit right, right where they should so that's what sort of it's the look that makes it all and that's classic so classic of course could be sort of defined through various categories but it's that final sort of look that really sort of makes the man um, and sort of really sort of defines the classic sort of ability. So now to my final point, and this is going to be a discussion <coughs> as well. Um, we are, you know, just to sort of like summarize. We are seeing a casualization of uh, of a lot of classic menswear. We've also sort of talked about a few elements as well. Um, you know, as I said, you know, could be the black skinny could could become a classic. The white sneaker is all, all already like on its way. So, what do we think is the future of classics? And you brought up a really good point because, because of the fact that we were sort of so inundated by, by trend essentially, because of you know, how like fast sort of interaction and we kind of forget about it and it's sort of so shallow. Are we going to see? Have are we going to see new classics sort of come into our? vernacular or do we think that we've exhausted it, like this is the end.
3: I think probably as you say, by definition menswear is pretty standard. You can't it's not the same variation say as in women's fashion. fashion. I think it's more a case of reinterpreting reinterpreting like old fads. So I mean I I see people much younger than me wearing kind of similar shirts that I would have worn when I was younger in the seventies. and yeah and that kind of thing so it's probably more variations on a theme rather than something completely i mean what what else is there to kind of come up with
1: I mean interestingly and this is you know a couple of points that I I thought might be interesting to for us to think of course you know the biggest issue is that are we going to see just a you know tweaking of form or are we going to see something actually new come about but think about things like advancement in technology. We might be seeing um, different fabrics. So far, our reliance has been almost entirely on natural fiber, be it cotton, be it wool, so it's pretty much, and leather. We, we haven't really sort of moved beyond that. Would the puffer vest, for example, or like a puffer jacket, which is becoming, gaining a lot of a lot of traction, could that sort of become a classic in our lifetime? Or looking at climate change. Could we finally get rid of the suit, for example? Is it too stuffy? You know, these are things that could really, you know, could shape our conversation 50 years down the road. Even things like, you know, durability. Are we really sort of in the, in the market for constantly buying things? Or do we want something to really sort of wear? Um, further ca- casualization, and probably my favorite, the blending of, like, uh, gender-coded clothes, which is a really important one. Trousers were, like, women in trousers was the biggest revolution of uh, like the last, uh, uh, last couple of decades. Fun fact that I've learned about that, um, women in the US uh, who were um, in office weren't allowed to wear trousers in the Senate until 1993. <laughs> so they had to be in a skirt. Uh, So it goes to show, so that's really sort of taken over where women are wearing trousers. So could men be wearing skirts? Again, if it's getting really hot in in the next, like, 50 (laughs) years um, in certain parts of the world, could that become a thing? Well, Mark Uh, Jacobs
0: has been wearing skirts for
1: years. Oh, he's been wearing skirts for years. Well, so have the Scottish, if you think about it. (laughs) Exactly. That's airy. So, you know, I mean, there is, of course, that, you know, these are the things. So, I mean, do we think that it's going to get... Are we? Are we, Have we exhausted them? Or do well these things, such as, you know, the invention of, you know, Garbadin did did was invented about a hundred years ago. So could we see that, um, like you know, the the puffer puffer jacket. Uh, you know so what, I is,
0: guess going back to the gender thing. Yeah. Are there more classics in men's wear than women's wear? No. Um, oh, what do you think is? What are classic women's wear? LBD, um, pump. Um, recently snake sneakers, jeans, a black blazer, black blazer,
1: black but then a lot of those things kind of are from men's wear, yeah. wow. mm. I mean, <laughs> I think the skirt and the blouse, skirt. more or less, uh, I mean, I mean, to be, to be honest, I think if anything's really changed in how we define like fashion, I think women's wear has changed way more drastically. I mean. You really got rid of corsets, I mean, that was going on for, for, for a couple of hundred years, that's we crazy. We have Spanx now, thank you. <laughs> 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 that's true. Um, um, and, you know, so that, that, a lot of that has changed so much and like, you know, there's sort of big, big, I mean, I mean, that's what women would wear day in, day out, just like really puffy, puffy uh, sort of dresses. Um, which has really changed. So I mean, women's wear has really, really, really changed in not so long as well. I mean, it's only been under a hundred years where it's completely redefined classics. Where, whereas men's wear has sort of evolved from previous sort of versions of itself and just sort of sort of taken taken another life. Um,
4: so, sorry, maybe for women, it
0: could be the bikini could, rather than taking that from a men's suit or yeah. something. That could be the women's classic.
1: And it was yeah. True stateful, I guess. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Standard
0: and sets the standard.
1: Absolutely. And again, born out of sort of rebellion as well. It really sort of was of, of its time. It was, it, I think the bikini was really telling of the fact that, you know, women have come so far that they want to wear this and they're not going to be told what to wear. So it was a really sort of big, big moment in terms of that. Yeah. Do
4: you see any influence from
2: um, sort of the East? in men's fashion as well so a lot of the focus is on like suits and jeans and whatever which is very much a sort of western fashion but do you see any influence from china or india or africa on
1: the fashion in general i think i think that's just i, I think in fact I'm, I'm, I'm wearing all those influences so it's just like so something that's like not collared, for example this is very sort of eastern this colour. I mean it's called a narrow colour for a reason. So these are things that are a lot of influences that are now coming um, to Do you um, see them
0: becoming classics in I mean,
1: Australia or America for example? I think I think they have I think they have potential because you know that's the thing, right? Like you uh, you know, coming back to going back to our first thing that we spoke about which is defining classic, you have to see it through time to see whether that is going to become the standard. Uh, so you know, this is there's there's a lot of there is, I mean it, it could. I mean to be honest, a singlet could. Uh, you know, that's probably that I think a singlet has more, um, a greater chance of becoming a classic than any other sort of any other where I can I can think of. Yeah.
2: Sorry. Maybe um economically should so we move away from like the Western hegemony, like, yeah, I'm sorry, like British culture and the idea of I mean, like, colonialism in yeah. a way is a very strong proponent of the idea Absolutely. of Western fashion being dominant, and perhaps as like um, the economic rise of several Eastern nations continues, we'll see sort of a counterflow in which they'll become the influences upon the West.
1: Yeah, and I think, um, but it's interesting to see, you know, just the times that we live in, when you see the influences coming from. The East, for example, China. China sort of opened up. I'm just, and I'm specifically speaking of China. It opened up at a time where you know there was a huge rush of that sort of Western influence. And now, when you see a lot of, you know, when you see sort of the the people there, they're already so heavily influenced by that initial wave of of the Western that of that sort of Western influence. um, That you know, you really don't see them sort of having their own sort of influences that are sort of very, you know, maybe, I mean, I think they were they were probably trying to sort of move away from what, what Mao had sort of started as well, which is essentially it was a socialist idea. Everyone had to wear a very sort of similar and identical clothes You didn't have a lot of room in that particular area, so they really sort of readily accepted that, and I think that sort of lost a little bit, you know, With globalization came at a time where it really sort of promoted the sort of Western uh, uh, ideal, and I think, I think it's here to stay. I mean, there might be influences like, you know, getting rid of the collar and you know, here and there, which might really sort of take off, but you know, I mean, that, that's probably another, another interesting conversation to see whether we are going to have a lot of you know, different influences and like, as multicultural as we are now.
3: <clears throat> is that? But I wonder, the influence of the East, is that more uh, kind of trends? Because, I mean, say so in the mid-60s, you had the Nehru jackets, yeah. and they kind of fell out of fashion, but they seemed to be coming in again, yeah. as opposed to being a kind of classic, certainly in the West classic anyway. Yeah.
1: And I
0: think... Uh, what about sorry? the butterfly collar, though? You know, the, like, that Asian collar, which has that,
4: like, little tie-up?
1: Yeah. and that's the thing, like I think it's all about like, you know, whether it's going to be fatty or do you think it's going to be sort of really um go down as as mentor. I think the it's it's kind of the same way as we sort of describe what the classics are, which is the sort of Greco Roman study as well, right? So I think classic will always be like sort of predefined by the idea that it is based on a sort of Western and more specifically a British ideal. And I think it's the same way, you know, when, when you sort of look at the classics, they are, or oh, they only refer to the Greco Roman, like the study of, of the Greco Roman philosophy, etc. cetera. Um, and I think it's the same with classics as well. I think it might actually just continue to be uh, the, the Western uh, ideal. All right, do we have any questions? What's your
4: favorite classic man's
1: Uh White chair. Easy go around with it
4: so I was interested in what you talked about quality being important yeah. the Classic. so with the advent of fast fashion you can buy a white <coughs> t-shirt for about two dollars or yeah. two pounds or whatever um, and, <coughs> uh, which sort of suggests that quality has been lost somewhere there. and I wonder if what people start focusing once more on on how the things that they're wearing are made where they're made whether that's there's an ethical accurate. aspect to it which will assert itself because that sort of there's a real disconnect between what we wear and how it's made and who's making it absolutely i don't think people think about that very much but i do think that will enter the kind of conversation more and that will help define the future of what's kind of
1: Absolutely, and that's that's a really good question because you the whole conversation about fast fashion is always like sort of constantly like attacks the, the concept of of you know uh, the classic menswear and tailoring and uh, you know bespoke you know these are all the things. And you know where your cloth is coming from and who someone's making it by hand and it's you know made to measure. Interestingly, classic is always going to be style, which defies time. And sort of it's kind of sort of has that timelessness to it. And I think because of that, and fashion is always now. Fashion is always trendy. It is always going to be, you know, this is cool now, won't be I mean, look the amount of fashion shows that are happening now, it's it's at a dizzying pace. There's autumn winter, spring summer, pre fall, resort, couture. That's insane. Um, that is not, I mean, you know, Oscar Wilde said something incredible. He's Like, fashion is something that's so ugly that it has to be changed every six months. Um, <laughs> and, you know, he said that back in the 1800s. So it was already at a dizzying pace. But style tends to stick. Uh, classics stick. So people will, and I think there is a resurgence of, of, like, that sort of, that sort of appreciation of the artisanal, you know, made to measure, um, You know where where is the cloth being sourced from? You know someone is tailoring this for you. So I think there's definitely always going to be a market for for people who for people who's who sort of like have the eye for it. I think with classics, it's always going to be there. Fashion is way too fast for anyone to keep up with, and this is this is someone who who sort of goes through it a lot, and it's 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 ridiculous.
4: But I think to that point of like ethical fashion, the comparison would be organic food. Like, you know, it's more expensive. We have an industrialized process of making food Mm -hmm. similar to fashion. But you know, the unit economics and scale, it's just so much more efficient for people to kind of buy fast food or, you know, like genetically modified food. It it just makes sense, right? It's the same thing with fashion. Like it's the only people that can really afford ethical fashion are wealthy same kind of people love. Sure. Mm-hmm. So you would still have that similar model where there would be some acceptance but not wide scale. That, that might be yeah.
1: But I, and, I, and I think it's sort of it's interesting because you know whilst what we were talking about you know the rise of the middle class and the rise of affordable uh, fashion as well but again you know over time human beings tend to sort of behave in this sort of similar way they're still Back then, clothes were, of course, not mass-produced. Like when, of course, when the clientele was specifically the, the 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 sort of well-to-do socioeconomic sort of classes. But now, people who are interested in that, in the artisanal and the bespoke, are still those people because they can still they're the only ones who can sort of afford that. So, whilst everything sort of like changes, of course, the might the pool might be bigger, but the actual sort of hierarchy of it of who's really still interested in that sort of way of of, of expressing and sort of choosing what they want to put on their body um, is, is, is pretty pretty much the same so probably
0: similar related to this question about the organic do you think classics as a fashion concept do you think they rise through the classes or do you think they trickle down from the
1: top as a that's a yeah that's a really good question um, they they've sort of gone they've sort of they all, look most most things that have been effective in human history have been uh, top down so be it revolution be it oh be it this um, if the upper classes don 't react or endorse to something like endorse something or react to something it doesn 't necessarily make it all the way bottom i mean look, look at for example, the French Revolution as well I mean the poor were crying for a very long time but it 's only when the sort of the not the ruling class, but the nobility, the bourgeois sort of became involved. That's where it, every everything sort of got mobilized, and it's the same way. It's always going to be, even like sort of looking at you know lo- it, denim as an example. James Dean wears it. The upper classes love it, and then there's there's a huge wave because it was it exi- denim existed for a good century until uh, it came. It became a sort of wear for everyone. So it goes to show that it kind of has to go. Top down. It's just how we sort of end up reacting to things.
3: But doesn't the upper class kind of owe it to the lower class then? Because James Dean wouldn't have worn it unless
0: he was trying to look.
2: He like was someone.
1: He yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is interesting because this this continues to, and this is probably you know, this is another thought I've always had, which is the the upper classes have a way of sometimes when they're bored they have a way of sort of borrowing from from. The poor. I mean, again, yeah, Anna. Kind Wint- of need each other in
0: that sense.
1: Yeah, of course. I think it's a symbiotic sort of relationship where they really sort of continue to to borrow from each other. Um, in a recent interview, it wasn't an interview. She did it for Vogue. It was again Anna Wintour said something quite interesting because it was. this Vogue does this little thing called Seventy Three Questions and they do it on their YouTube channel. And the guy asked her, "Is like what literary figure has had the most influence on fashion?" She said, "Oliver Twist." Um, or I, I, I would sort of generalize it even more, I would just say Dickensian literature. Um, it is sort of such a formidable force, and again, Oliver Twist is talking about the poorest of the poor in London back in the 1800s, where things were absolutely dreadful, but it continues to, I mean, she wouldn't say something in a flippant way, it would be a measured answer. So it continues to affect fashion today, so, and again, like, it's exactly that, where someone like Anna Wintour, you know, says that Oliver Twist is the single biggest influence in fashion. Anyone else? Okay. <coughs> so, are any of these lessons sort of transferable to men's fashion that's not garments, it's like hair styles and tattoos and beards, all those kind of piercings and stuff, Like, that. could we have the same
4: discussion on another night? Mm. Without, like man and
1: and this kind of stuff yeah <laughs> I think that's that's a re. I think well the watch would be yeah the watch, yeah, the the watch for example I think that's that's probably a really good question I think tattoos are something that's so new that we really don't have a place in history where we can continue to speak about it in terms of because it's only a trend that's really sort of taken off I mean, the origins of it are, are less like about a hundred years old, and now it's really good. Southern
4: Cross tattoos.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but looking at, for example, hairstyles, I think hair is interesting, and I've I've actually looked at, like, for example, the history of the beard. Um, up until the the end of the, the no, beginning of the First World War, almost everyone had a beard, and then all of a sudden, like between the wars, it just goes up in smoke, and then we don't see it until now. Um, so it's it's interesting to see where, like how. Like yeah, I think I think it definitely has a place in in classics. Um, probably more. It probably evolves more than anything else. People, guys used to have a lot longer hair. Again, I think it comes to personal hygiene. People just didn't care enough about their. <laughs> would not wash their hair enough.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: so, they didn't like cut it either, perhaps. So, yeah, but I mean, it's, it's a good point. All right. Anyone? Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, this was very good. Um, I hope. I really, really hope you enjoyed that. Um, this is really, you know, just an in, in interest, and I really hope I, I didn't bore you. Um, oh. well, thank you. Thanks so much. And thank you to Debbie and Clara for, for the opportunity and for this beautiful space. Well, thank you,
0: Ali. It was you can see what I loved about his mind, and I just want to kind of share it with everyone and give him a platform to speak. <laughs> um, you can read his column in the new issue if you guys want to pick up a copy. It's issue seven. Um, and we have some classics in here if you want to buy anything. <laughs> uh, but thank you for coming. We're gonna be having our next one would be in October when the issue comes out in September. So if you guys want to, you know, subscribe or buy the issue, read it beforehand so you kinda of have an idea and then we can kind of discuss it and
2: Um, Thank you.